You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Five million people amidst a war zone are creating a new society based on principles that are dear to the hearts of many radicals in Australia. Welcome to ANUS, the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, formerly known as Rojava. This is a 10-part series of conversations with Haval Farat, Haval Tekashin and friends from a civil diplomacy centre in the city of Kwamizlo. These conversations provide an insight into how they are organising their society, how they are making decisions and how they are defending their zone from aggression from some of the most powerful military empires on the planet. We are confident you will find this series exceptionally interesting, but more importantly, it is the type of news we need today in order to ensure that here in Australia we continue to act up to create that new society based on egalitarian principles in our heart. All right, here we are. This is episode nine, believe it or not, of our interaction with a civil diplomacy centre in the Autonomous Administration of North and Eastern Syria. Our good friend, Haval Tekashin, is on the line all the way from North and East Syria. And today he wants to discuss the nuts and bolts, how a civil society which is not based on productivism works. How are you? Good, thanks. It's uh, freezing cold here now in Syria. I'm sitting here with an electric heater next to me, and you can probably hear the generator in the background because while the electricity is cut again, Mm. uh, which actually means the water was cut again, Mm. but uh, yeah, I'm sort of huddled away in several coats here next to the laptop. Right. Well, if the the coats get... um start burning because you're too close to the heater you, we, give, <laughs> we give you permission to douse yourself in water but you need to come back to complete the interview okay yeah, yeah no, we're, pre- we're pretty no, tired no, no, <laughs> <laughs> all right so you've been um, first of all tell us about the village you've been uh, living in and because uh, you said that you've been wandering around uh, talking to people to see how things work Exactly, yeah. I mean, for me, the small village, the poorest people, um, the civilians, if you like, is for me the main nerve of the revolution. These are the people who I really want to understand how they see things. So it's really wonderful to be here in this small village. It's about 30 kilometres from Kamishlo, which itself is not a massive city. It's only 300,000, and this small village is... Uh, I guess maybe 500 to 1,000 people. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, this village is interesting as well because it's the central hub for all the institutions in the area. So it actually uh, is responsible for the 35 villages around it. Um, 
And so you have institutions like a municipality here, you have Congress Star, um, you have the Mejlisa. The Mejlisa, I, I don't know what the translation is, but they, they solve problems in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's all here. Um, so it's been over the last week, I took the time to go and see all of them, you know, and chat with all of them um, and find out what their work was and and what their history was. And it's been fantastically interesting and wonderful. I've been in this village for, I think, like four months now. Mm -hmm. Is is this like a coordinating body? It doesn't make decisions, but it coordinates the wishes of the other villagers? Or is it something Um, different? Yeah, I mean, it depends which organisation we're talking about. So the Sharidari, which is the municipality, mm-hmm. has the responsibility of making and repairing the infrastructure. The uh, Majlisa has the responsibility of proactively and reactively solving problems between families in society. Um, the Congress Star is more proactive. Congrestar is the women's movement that has, you know, has been part of this revolution since the 1980s. You know, you see the, the building up of the women's movement in, in, in the party since back then. And now we have Congrestar, this, this incredible movement, which uh, is responsible for improving the situation of women, uh, bringing them into decision-making positions, uh, protecting them liberating you know um so incredibly important work um and this this is for the whole 35 villages and people come in yeah they come i mean they come in from these 35 villages with a bus every morning at half past eight um to begin work in this central place for the for the villages so so is this is this this one bus that collects people from the different villages who are I'm not sure if it goes around and collects everyone. There might be a different bus for each institution, but right. I, I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely. I mean, in the morning, I've only ever seen one bus arrive, right. so it might go and get everyone. Right. Yeah, right. but I mean, there's, there's three doors here. I mean, I guess about twenty to thirty people working in all of those institutions. So twenty, thirty in total, mm-hmm. something like that. Now, uh, first, I went into the municipality, um, and they talked about their work, which was roads, water, electricity, things like this. Um, And it costs about $4,000 for a kilometre of road here. And between those 35 villages, there's, I'm guessing, about 100 kilometres of road. So, um, guess how much their budget was for 2021? Uh, what, 120000 No, $10,000. 10000 for 100 kilometres of road. $10,000 for the year, <laughs> for, a, for the entire electricity supply to those 35 villages, water and roads. And roads. It's just unbelievable. Right. Unbelievable. That was the budget. Um, and this is, this is, I mean, they, they, as we talked about two episodes ago, I think, it's a non-productivist society. So every one of these institutions I went into, it's not like walking into it at all in Europe, 
or, or Australia, I imagine, mm -hmm. everyone immediately has time for you. You know, everyone I went into, everyone just talked to me for hours about their work and things. So there's there's always time for socialising, for discussing ideology everywhere you go, even whether it's the mechanic or whatever, as we discussed two episodes ago. So, um, and the thing that they said is the amount of money they receive is directly uh, inversely proportional to the amount of military expenditure and war that is happening. Wow. So what you see is the budget they're going to have for next year, because actually this year in, in uh, northeast Syria has been relatively quite peaceful. Um, you know, there's been big wars previously. They've been building military infrastructure. A lot of that work is done. Not all of it, but a lot of it's done. And the budget for next year is $50,000. Now, that's quite a big jump. And it's, it's simply because we're not being as attacked as much as we were before. I mean, that'll change. That will change drastically if, if Turkey does invade, as it's been threatening to. Um, ironically enough, Turkey, the Turkish government has said that they don't have enough money to kill people in this area at the moment, so they're not going to invade now. Yeah, um, not worth it. So, yeah, $50,000, I mean, it's still an absurdly small amount right. for all of those villages so just, to build just, the infrastructure. Just a little bit of relativity. What do you think it would cost for somebody to survive there? Well, um, the average wage here is $80 a month. Right. Okay. So um, people mostly live with their families until they get married. And then uh, the community, yeah, it's a very big community thing, someone getting married, as everything is here. So the community give money for the, for the new couple to buy a house. Um, and so usually you're living without rent. If you're very poor and, you're, and your situation is bad, then you might have to pay rent. And I know some very poor families that are having to pay rent to landlords. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a difficult situation. You know, it's very expensive to be poor. <laughs> um, um, food? Now, there is actually quite a massive food growing on, food growing going on just outside the village. I know this because I was in the village in the morning. Uh, like half seven in the morning mm. and this huge truck goes past with about 20 women in the back only women mm. and I was like, well, this is why there are no women in the village is because they're going off in this truck and I asked where it was going and it's actually going to food growing so they are growing a lot of their own food, food. Um, you don't have to pay for water um, I don't think you have to pay for civilian electricity um, I mean, not that it's on, but <laughs> um, so the cost of living, I mean, clearly the cost of living does fit into $80 because everyone's, you know, alive. Um, half the people have a car. Uh, the price of petrol has gone up by a factor of 10 in the last five years, but is still incredibly cheap. So, I mean, it was it was it was basically free. Uh, five years ago, you know, um, now now you have to pay a, a little amount for it. So, I mean, people are getting by. They're not, not as rich as Europeans, and they know that, but they're getting by on that. Now, getting back to the municipal authority, you, you, you uh, went to find out what they actually did. So 
So how do they... Say there's a problem for electricity generation in a particular village. Do they send people out there if they can't resolve the issue? Do they provide a generator? How, how do they uh, tackle these issues? Do they have permanent uh, people on their payroll to do this? Yes, there are permanent people on the payroll, absolutely. Um, They will, um, it's more community-based, so they don't sit in their own locked room and make decisions that they think are best. They're in the community, and the community have a radical effect on their decision-making simply because they're connected to everyone in terms of friendship, in terms of going to places. No, it's normal here to go and see someone and talk to them, Mm. you know. Um... So their decision-making processes there. I mean, there's still there is still hierarchy here, as as we've said in uh, previous episodes. There is still a responsible, uh, a man and a woman here, because it's law now that there must you know dual leadership, a woman and a man. So there's always a woman and a man, uh, and they're called reverberis. And what I've noticed going into these institutions, there just seem to be a lot of reverberis. You know, uh, it's almost like half the institution is called a reverberi, you know, responsible for stuff. Um, and yeah, they're, they're much more connected in the community. Um, so, yeah, I guess their decision making is better in that sense. Um, and in a sense, it's populism again, which is the community's expression through its constant meeting will be the focus of the municipality so if if the people are talking a lot about the water supply but not talking a lot about the roads this will radically affect what the municipality does it's populism populism is a good thing here um so so they they um, can actually they can actually change direction relatively quickly depending on the discussion in the community is that the way they're structured yeah right. yeah yeah that's the way i see it happening I mean, for example two days ago um a young young woman died of a, a disease um nothing to do with war just she passed away she's 14 right. and um the whole community comes together i mean hundreds and hundreds of people from all the villages around um and they they discuss what's happened, they talk to the family, and this goes on and on. Um, and anything that happens, these halls and these tents go up, you know, and I've mentioned this before, but it's just an enormous amount of discussion and activity. And of course, the, the representatives, sorry, representatives, responsibles from all of these organisations, they're all there as well. They're part of, it's not that they're told about what the result of the discussion was. No, they're in, in the community and part of the discussion and their consciousness is growing and changing with the community. So uh, it's not like they get a cold report from the community. No, they're part of it. Would the same structure um, exist in the towns and cities or are they divided into municipalities in the towns and the cities? Would you have any idea? Um, not a very big idea, but certainly what I can say, because I've been part of a local um, neighbourhood in a city, it is very neighbourhood. You know, the towns and city, the cities, so the neighbourhood cities in Europe used to be very strong, like little villages, and it, it's like that. So um, in terms of what the local neighbourhoods do, uh, there is a very strong community there. When 
we were planting trees, I was slightly surprised that we had to go to the central Kanishlo city authority to tell them that we were doing it. Now, I viewed it as us telling them that we were doing it, not asking permission. How, how much it was of each one, I'm not sure. Right. Um, yeah. So, so, so obviously the municipal authority looks after the, you know, the physical structures. Now you mentioned two other very interesting uh, organisations which are, you know, run parallel with this municipal authority. So, which one would you like to describe next? Because these are the type of things we actually don't have in the West. Well, indeed, yes. Um, well, I mean, maybe you have them, but I mean, their whole culture is radically different. So, for example, the Medjlisa. The Medjlisa solves problems. Uh, like I said, proactively and reactively. If, if a family comes into the Medjlisa and says, we're angry because another family scratched our car and has, you know, is not talking to us now, an example or something like this. You know, there's a million, there's an infinite amount of different problems that could happen, and they, they solve this. So, um, the, the number one and only thing that they said repeatedly is that they solve things with society here. They'll get the families together, they'll talk to them, lots of other people will come in. Uh, religious representatives, community, all of their friends and family, everyone will come together and they'll sit and they'll sort it out. And they'll do it in an emotionally intelligent way. So they won't say, you scratch the car, you have to pay $100. You know, this is the resolution. No, they'll try and understand why the family who scratched the car is somehow afraid to do anything. Maybe they're poor. Maybe... Maybe there is a history between the families and they're afraid of conflict. They'll try and work out the emotions, and I've seen them doing this, and it is fantastic. Of course, the role of women in this is quite important as well. Um, yeah, so this is what they kept saying to me. And, of course, they've got time to take this approach. It doesn't matter if it takes weeks to solve something, because, again, it's not product productivism. Everyone has time for these more beautiful ways of looking at things. Um, and of course, they always know all the families because of all these community things. So whenever anyone is hurt or there's something that happens in the community, everyone comes together. So again, they're connected. They know the emotions of the families already before something happens. So their ability to then solve it. Um, and this is the thing. Yeah, like I said, I remember there was <laughs> such a difficulty. As I said in the last episode, language. And it's amazing what words you can't say in Kurdish. Um, so there's no word for lawyer. <laughs> and we were trying to explain, talk to each other. And they were using the Arabic word, which of course I don't know because I don't speak Arabic. And we had to go on the translator and finally, oh, you don't use lawyers. Okay. And they don't use law. They don't care what the law is. The fact that criminal damage might have been committed is completely irrelevant. They, they, want, to, they want to solve the problem, actually, not just punish and re recompensate, compensate. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what would happen if I was recalcitrant and I refused to interact? Well, 
the ideology is continuing to try and help you. And it's not, it's not to convince, well, it's not to force you to get you to obey the one single way. It's that it's viewed from what I've seen from people trying to solve recalcitrant problems is that they view it as, as the person who is being like that as having an emotional problem again. So they try to understand why you're recalcitrant and solve why. Mm. It might be that you fought in the war. It might be that you've seen terrible things. It might be that you've shut down because of that and you can't deal with anything positive solution. You've just become completely... And of course, there's a lot of people here who've suffered great things. So will they get angry with you? Of course they won't. There's, there's always a reason for someone doing something and there's always an emotional reason behind it as well. Mm. And so they, they don't have a time limit. This is the thing. There is no time limit um, for trying to help you. Now, I mean, if you start to commit violence, then they will bring guns and police and put you in a... A place where you can't leave and they will continue without time limit trying to help you and i've seen this it's just unbelievable the the lack of time limit on helping people incredible mm. so 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 physical violence is the is the key for another group or a fighter to intervene is that absolutely correct? yeah right um yeah, I mean that's that's at least one of the lines, obviously. I think. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm just I'm uh, just thinking. I mean, look, look. You know, we've got neighbourhood houses which have been established around uh, certain cities in Australia to try to resolve things outside a legal issue. But obviously, when the when violence, interpersonal violence occurs, there's a complaint. Obviously, the uh, police interact. So, how would would people? ring somebody up and say this is unacceptable we need this person to be contained for their own safety and for the safety of the community how would how would that work yeah i mean they're dead when we know that the, the police by the way um huge part of the organization also just goes into the community and talks to people to proactively with problems they, they don't just reactively respond to, to violence so, so the actual so, police so, so they, don't just, they don't just sit in their officers waiting for a call is that what you're saying yeah exactly no they, they go in and solve things before they happen they're well into the communities and talking to people all the time now i mean they're the same as the Medjlisa. they really really work together to look for problems and and, and, and because that brings people closer to the police of course and they're mostly in their own communities as well. So there is a, there is a great closeness uh, between the organisations. Bizarrely enough, and I feel a bit stupid saying this, I don't know the number for <laughs> I should have put that in my phone or something, but I imagine there's probably a switchboard, but I have no idea because actually, I mean, I work like the people here. I'm going to ring my friends in the police if, if there is a problem. That might be how everyone works. I mean, the, here, so much, you navigate by friends. You know, if you even go into the souk and you're looking for a product, um, you can just walk into any shop and talk to them. And they'll always tell you the name of the person who's trying to, not the, not the shop, but the name. Right. 
everything was about friends and names and people here. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's quite likely that people directly ring their friends in the police to come. And that's a good thing. I'm actually knowing people in the police that can help you with things. In, in Europe, that would be... Um, who you know, you know, it's who you know, what not what you know, but here it's all who you know. But everyone knows everyone because the scale is smaller and everyone has these bond, friendship bonds, so people get things organised. And you'll always know someone who knows a person that can help you with things anyway, so it's really this who you know network. So the same process occurs in larger this this is the dilemma that we face a lot of people say yeah fine technician this works in small communities you know coordination mm. all that but what about cities what about towns you're saying that you've got the same kind of neighborhood structure which is which evolves in these areas where people yeah. live cheek by jail okay good now going back to this let's call it a conflict resolution centre. Um, can anybody join or do they need a specific uh, education or it's just that you've got an interest in that area and do people get paid or is it a volunteer type of type of work? It's all paid. Um, this is one of the important things that has happened as the situation with expenditure, military expenditure and budgets has improved is that everyone gets paid. So there are PYD workers, that's the Revolutionary Political Party, they all get paid now as well. So you can actually go and work for them and expect a living wage. Um, in terms of uh, do you need uh, any specific education, we're going back to the experts thing again here. Um, so the answer is no. You don't. Uh, here, if, if you want a job, you've, you've more or less got it. I mean, they won't, the, in, the interview is, is, you know, what will you be doing here, as I've said in the past. I mean, the, the idea of rejecting someone who wants to do a certain work, compared to positivism, capitalism, is completely different. If I mean, if, if my friend here, local person, went to the Medjlisa and said, I really want to work for the Medjlisa, they would be just excited that he was going to be working there. You know, there's no one, well, can you do the job? It's like, what, what are you going to be doing? What is exciting you? What, you know, what... Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> yeah, so, so people basically drift into areas where they've got affinity... That's what is that what you yeah. say? You know, they've got a finish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you don't need it. And even yeah. and even, you know, if they have a lot of affinity, let's say they are in a family that suffered some local crime, for example, and they've grown up wanting to make the village or the neighborhood safer. They might have a lot of energy for wanting to do that. They don't only have the option of joining the police because there isn't a the police they can talk to their friends um arm themselves and start going into the community and trying to proactively solve things they uh can then tell other police or army groups that they they're doing that and then the other other groups will help to coordinate that um now if it is specifically an armed work, 
that they want to do. Now they do have to get a license from the municipality to carry out armed crime solving or problem solving in the community. But when I talk to my soldier friends, this is the way they started their um, divisions. You know, so you don't have just like this formal group, which is the only thing you can join if you want to do things. I mean, you know, there might be another Medjlisa startup that wants to try and solve things in the way. It will be super friendly and positive with the other Medjlisa and the other groups, because why not? But the people are free to, to create their own things as well. You're listening to part of a 10-part series with the Civil Diplomacy Unit of the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria. We're having a conversation with Tekerson, and uh, who is uh, a member of the Civil Diplomacy Unit. This is part of the 3CR Acting Up series. My name's Joseph Toscano, and the producer of this program is Kelly Whitworth. Now, obviously, it's different to a uh, maybe a Western type of concept. It's it's not a one-to-one process. As you said, it's a community process. It's a wider process. Mm. So even if you're involved in counselling or trying to resolve a, an issue and, you know, you're lacking skills, there's other people there that can kind of direct things in a way to resolve the issue. Is that the way it works? You don't kind of walk into a room and, and there's this authority figure sitting there saying to you, um, this is the way they listen, they say, this is this is our decision. Yeah, no, it's not like that. I, mean, I just want you to explain to listeners the process. Say, uh, say I've had a, a dispute with my neighbour, which hasn't escalate into physical violence, say their dog's giving me the shits, you know, it's barking at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> and then and, and they and they refuse to do anything about it. I've spoken to them and they just ignore me and I, I go to this dispute resolution centre. So what would happen? Um, they would get both families together and talk to them. And... Bear in mind, because it's not a lawyer thing, it's not a law thing. Yeah, but it, would, it, would, it be, would, it, would it be one person or would it be more than one person? Oh, no, 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 as many people as want to come. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, no, lots of people. It will be different every time. The right. solution will be different every time because it's right. a subjective, heterogeneous society. Right. So it, it'll, the thing is, skills, you know, in uh, in positivism, if if you learn... Uh, psychology and psychotherapy they teach you an algorithm to help people mm. it's it's opposite to that right. here. when we're talking about skills to help people it's um, you know it's not a technical thing it's it's a matter of having emotional understanding of the people around you and how to uh, very emotionally carefully fix their emotional problems um, and y- you can't take a degree in that. But all humans, I-, I strongly believe now that all humans are capable of that. It's just that positivism removes it. You know, the people here are, are really, they read each other so much better uh, because they're trying to, and it's the natural human state, I think. Yeah. Um, I think people forget that so, 
the, the, the lubricant to any society's participation. I mean, we're, we're kind of drilled into the idea that if you cast a ballot every three to four years, that's all you've got to do and the, yeah. everything else will fall into place. But you're telling me here it's hard work. It is hard work yeah. to live in this society because you're ex- – well, in order for it to succeed – People need to participate. They need to participate on a daily basis. And obviously not being productivist gives you the time for participation. We don't have any time Absolutely. to participate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I remember it. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I had, to, I took four years off work. I was in a privileged position where I could do that. I spent those four years in the library, but other people can't do that, especially if they have families and they're living in productivism. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's what enslaves people and prevents society is this productivism, which is so, I mean, you've you got David Greber's bullshit jobs book, all these things. It's been known for at least a century, uh, going back as far, you know, with John Maynard Keynes, uh, statements on, on workload and things. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's well understood that that productivism is completely pointless now. Well, it's interesting that the, the more technological in, innovations we have, the more work we, we need to carry yeah. out. It's just <laughs> it's the inverse of what we were told, you know, uh, in a productive yeah. society. So th- now you said there was a third group within this uh, arrangement. What was this third group and what do they do? This is Congress Start. Um, absolutely uh, incredible people. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, the women's movement, you can see it developing in, in the party uh, in the 80s and 90s, radically affecting Abdul Ocalan's, uh new ideology that he brought out in 2004, which radically changed the direction of uh, the entire revolution to come. Um, and Congress Star has been central to that all the time. So uh, I wandered in and there were five women there. Um, and of course, they immediately are super excited that I'm there and all paying lots of attention. And we were sitting in a little room um, with one of those, I don't know if you know them, like a big black cylinder with lots of ornate silver on them um, and a kind of chimney coming out. And this is this is the heater thing. And they bring in tea and coffees for everyone, um, which is, you know, it's, it's always lots of tea drinking and these discussions. Now, um, there are six of them in all. Three of them are reverberries. This means they do now responsible. It actually just means they try and coordinate things uh, and share information. So reverberries. One is a Norbit. So she is in charge of defense. That means she patrols the area with a AK-47 um, uh, defending the building. Um, and this this was interesting because like of the five of them sitting there, one was um, shorter and heavily pregnant. I mean, she, she must be giving birth in the next week or so, super pregnant. Mm. Um, and she was the Norbit. She's, she's the one who patrols the building with um, the AK. And one of them is Erdelet, which is justice. Uh, so she works with the Mejlisa. Um, and it's the law here that if a women's organization decides that a situation regards women, that the women's organization can take it over. Um, and so if the Medjilisa is dealing with 
situation. This uh, woman who deals with Erdelet's justice can go there and say, we're handling this now. And it's the law that that will happen. Now, you, just, um, you just mentioned, no, I just want to clarify one point. You've mentioned, you keep mentioning the law. Um, could you kind of expand on that? What What is, you tell, you've told listeners that people ignore the law when they're trying to resolve issues. It's not a criminal law type of situation, but you keep talking about the law which gives certain people in society authority to do certain things. Is the law something that's, you know, you can read or is it something that's uh, understood or how does that work? It's a great question. Um, so, yeah, um, people ignore the laws if they don't agree with um, So, for example, the driving laws. No one cares. They just go wherever they want. The the jaywalking law, um, no, people just walk in, in the road, around roundabouts in, in the middle of the road. They don't care. Um, the, the mask wearing law, no one wanted to do it. No one did it. Um, the, the main body of law is actually still the Syrian regime law. That's, it's not like they've created a new body of law for this revolution. No, it's still all the Syrian regime law. It's just that here, people pay attention to them. Uh, I mean, the, the law is used maybe as a last resort if everything else has failed. There are lawyers here, you know, uh, and some people use them. Now, in terms of new laws that are being obeyed, there's the law that there must be one, at least one woman in all leadership positions, um, and that is being obeyed. Now, would it be obeyed if generally the whole of society didn't want to do it? Um, well, in the Kurdish majority areas, which is where I live, uh, everyone is obeying that law. Every organisation, every leadership position is like that. Um, I imagine on the outskirts of the revolution in neighbourhoods that let's say are newer to the understanding of uh, women and the role that they should be playing in society, I imagine there's more friction there. Mm. And what happens in that situation is not that police come in and arrest everyone. That, that will happen sometimes, but that um, they will, again, take an emotionally intelligent... Because uh, one... A Kurdish woman said to me recently, we were, she was shown how to do something when there was no need to. You know, the, the man had assumed that she didn't know how to do something because she was a woman and shown her how to do it when she knew how to do it already. Mm. So, you know, this is mansplaining. Um, and she said to me afterwards, well, of course he does that. I mean, you can't expect, expect him to change and learn that quickly, can you? That'd be ridiculous. He's come from this this culture. You know, we need to we need to improve our friendships with them and, and help them slowly change. So, <laughs> um, genuinely, in the revolution, there there is this expectation that people can't. You know, you have to take them from this older culture into the new one, step by step. Um, yeah. So generally, laws are not obeyed because there is a law let's say that there, there there's something that everyone is thinking about in society they make it into a law 
it would technically allow them to arrest people, but the police as well will moan if you tell, you know, if you told them to arrest every man with two wives in Syria, they wouldn't do it. Because they they know as well as we do that that would immediately lead to, lead to civil war. Yeah. Um, so, so they won't do it. So yes, there are laws, but to consider it as a framework of guides, which are very useful in terms of a codification of what um, society wants. So going back to this discussion you had, what what do they do practically as a group? Well, Congressar. Uh, so this this was super interesting because that's exactly the question I asked them. Um, and they walk around the community neighbourhoods and they knock on people's doors as women. And they, you know, the first time they do it, the man will answer the door and they'll start talking to them about about the women in their house, about ideology, about the community, about all these sorts of things. And of course, they said, you know, a huge variety of things happen, but they go back again. And eventually they, they want, you know, really to talk to the women that are in the house for all sorts of reasons, you know, least of all to try and make sure that they're okay. Um, and this is their this is their daily work, actually doing that. Now, in 35 villages around here, the situation for women is still um, very bad. So, for example, there's they gave me a list of things that they're they're focusing on. Um, so, women sometimes are not allowed to leave the house still. Um, there's a lot of very young women basically sold for marriage. Um, it's illegal now, by the way, to give money for a marriage to the, to the woman's family. Mm. Um, although obviously it still, it still happens. Uh, what else did they say? Very interestingly enough, because, I mean, they have group stuff as well. I mean, it's all about education. They're education-focused. Um, and they said they, they will give a talk, and then there will be questions and answers at the end of the talk. Um, the men very often ask why they can't have several wives. And the women often ask what's wrong with marrying at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And I was very surprised that it's the women asking why, why it's a problem. For a very young woman to marry, but they say, I mean, it's it's always it's the women asked that one. Um, well, do they feel yeah. they're having an impact, or they're basically just kept on the outskirts, and people are polite because they know there could be ramifications? Um, they're definitely having an impact, right? Um. But the impact is very varied. I mean, you look at Al-Raqqa, as I said before, five years ago, only five years ago, it was liberated. It's the capital of ISIS. Mm. So it was, you know, as backward as the place possibly could be with regards to women. I mean, five years ago, they were throwing people off the tall tall building in the center of Raqqa to execute them, Mm. taking them up to the top and pushing them off. I mean, it was crazy what they were doing. And now, only five years afterwards, women are walking around by themselves, uh, 
looking like a woman would in Europe. You know, you can't tell the difference. They're not wearing any clothing that covers any part of them that um, women wouldn't in Europe, you know. Um, so the, the effect has been massive. Now, the effect in this small village that I'm in, um, from talking to people, uh, the effect has still been massive. You know, uh, when when they say that women are kept in houses, actually, as far as I can gather from talking to people, there's very, very few houses that are doing that still. Right. I mean, there's still... What the other thing they said is there's a split between work. Uh, like, actually, that truckload of women go and work the land. Men do other types of work, and they wanted to solve that as well. Um, and what... What I don't want to get confused about is the concept of women's rights being the only thing they're doing. Uh, in So looking at the, the very, very wonderful essay by Exo Methchild in Abdullah Chalan's Building Free Life, it talks about how the women's movement in Europe has lost its system change component. So it's been reduced to, and whilst women's rights, of course, are incredibly important, for example, right to abortion and things like this, of course, uh, the right to work, you know, all these sorts of things are incredibly important. Um, the European, she says that the European women's movement has, has given women equal rights, but in the society that men created. This positivism, this this very aggressive, mm. emotionless yeah, we have society. The, we have the same same debate here. Basically, you know, they say really okay, uh, excellent. The same debate um, in this country that you know you see some people get into corporate jobs and CEOs, and it really doesn't change the culture or the. Um, the economic um, framework. Now, getting so these are the three major organisations which basically um, exist in in every municipality and every city and town, or in every neighbourhood, I should say. It's it's very heterogeneous right. as always. We're all watching each other, and it's yeah. a permanent process of change and development. But yes, yes. Okay. Now, there's no other organisations you you want to speak about you talk about defense so is every little group responsible for its own defense and everybody's got it was it a norbet did you say a norbet does it norbet norbet is just the name for patrol patrol so what like in your civil diplomacy center do you have patrols in the civil diplomacy center uh we're surrounded by about i think it's 10 Right. Arab, Muslim, Asaish, who, uh, and CCTV systems and things like this. Mm. So this is this is our defence. We don't do it ourselves. It's it's the Asaish that do it for us. Right. So some people do it their own, and others have protection. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, very varied as always. Even the different ethnic groups, like if it's a majority Syriac area, they actually have their own yuppie gate. Right. Uh, I'm not sure if they have their own police, mm. but they have different, you know, protocols and, and organisation there. Mm. So you talked about laws. Do you have judges? Do you have jails? Yes, absolutely. So one of my friends is a Supreme Court judge. Uh, I have another friend who's a lawyer. 
um, and I've been to the jails. I mentioned probably in a previous episode that I went down to Al Hasika mm -hmm. to the ISIS jail. There oh, are okay. very, very big ISIS fighter jails. Mm -hmm. And uh, we interviewed four ISIS fighters. Um, the theory is that the jails are not for punishment because that's against the whole epistemological un understanding here. It's, it's to help people overcome their emotional problems. Mm. Uh, I can't gauge how much that is actually the case or not, not just from no, one jail right. visit. So, so there, there, is a formal, um, there is a formal legal structure then, a formal court process, which deals with violence, uh, is there? Or? A formal... I mean, something which people kind of accept, yes to, yeah. people accept that this is this is a court. These are judges. They've got authority. They can make decisions. Um, technically, yes. I mean, could, could I could I, be, could I become a judge? I could turn up there and say I'm a judge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know it sounds ludicrous, but I'm just saying there must. I'm just wondering. Um, how you resolve this issue because obviously the issue of violence is central to your existence as a society yeah. you know and you've got external threats as well as obviously there'd be internal threats yeah absolutely um so as, as we talked about before you you get put into a position of authority essentially here mm -hmm. uh based on how sweet you are uh the 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 emotions that are uh loved here are not charisma um and uh singular uh dogmatic ideological decision making uh the the the, the things that are, are loved here are humility uh understanding the complexity, don't, not having a different understanding of right and wrong. So here, um, understanding of right and wrong is completely different. Um, so for you to become a judge, uh, you would need to work in the justice department, which I've been to, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting down in the room uh, because one of my friend's father is, is a justice. Um, and I'm sitting down there and the judges come in um, and of course, they're all extremely sweet people. And the only way you'd get into that position is if the community regard you as a very humble, very loving person who doesn't have intent. And this, this is instrumentalism, which Bookchin talked about a lot. If you have intent, i.e. you want to control, you have an idea in your mind and you want to force other people to obey that idea, if you come to meetings wanting people to listen to you, you're not going to get into that position. People won't like you here. It's it's a, it's a kind of, this is why the hierarchy is like it is. So, for example, you know, I haven't been given any responsibility. So I'm still trying to change uh, my whole psychological structure to be more like these people. And maybe maybe they will see me fit for responsibility at some point. So, 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 so at some point... Do you apply or you are tapped on the shoulder or both? It's, it's, all, it's all 
who you know and friendship within the place that you work and all the other places that you interact with. Um, and it will be different each time. There isn't an application form. There's no contracts for work and there's no job descriptions. It's subjective, heterogeneous friendship. And if, if they start talking about it, and they always talk about it openly, you know, it's not like discussions happen behind closed doors. That, that really isn't a thing here. It's all because people are a hell of a lot more honest here. So if, if they're like thinking, wow, well, you know, the other judge is left, um, we should have another judge because of the amount of work here. Um, you know, they'll, they'll talk about it in the open um, and, and it'll happen that way. Mm. I want to get, get back to the um, three groups in the, in the neighbourhoods and the villages that you, that you spoke about. Is this a, a universal type of um, arrangement or does it change as far as different ethnic groups are concerned? Yeah, I mean, the groups are changing all the time. Like I said, it's very buoyant and dynamic, and it's mm. supposed to be permanently buoyant and dynamic so everyone can get involved. Right. Um, but Congrestar is a very, very long-running organisation, and they are, you know, the the organisation for women to progress the role of women. Um, the Sharidari, um, actually, as far as I know, has international formal recognition as a as a, a system of governance. So uh, what I mean by that is that the Sharidari, the local municipality, if it makes a formal document, that formal document will be recognised internationally because it's still there's so much in this society still linked to the actual Syrian government. Um, and so, for example, if I want a statement that i have worked for the civil diplomacy center while i've been here in syria if i go to the sharirari uh, they can write one out which has to be accepted by the british government for example so this is my understanding of it mm-hmm. um so these municipalities are everywhere in the village in all the villages and the um neighborhoods um and their culture um in terms of the role of women has changed massively in terms of how they acted before the revolution when they were related to the syrian regime it may not have changed so much but i don't i don't have that information um i know my kurdish friends have said that that, uh, you know a lot of this culture was already there long before the revolution um yeah Right. So, so in the last few minutes, we've only got a few minutes left for this this episode. Could you tell us what things are like there at the minute? How what's the um, threat, external threat, uh, like? Uh, it's, it's really difficult at the moment. Um, there's been drones over the city of Kamishla every day now. Uh, there's you know a couple flying over the city, and you never know when they're going to attack, and this is putting a lot of pressure on us um and they keep hitting cars and things and i, I think i mentioned last episode yes. that mm. one of the brothers of one of my friends was killed mm. uh in a in an attack on the car right. um yeah so it's pretty it's pretty edgy at the moment right and um what do you intend to live at this village for a while or have you got other plans yeah i really hope to stay here you know there's mm. 
the electricity supply is difficult, the water supply is difficult. But I walk into the village now, and I think you probably, you probably do you live in a village, by the way? Because I know you leave Melbourne, don't you? Yeah, you? look, and no, I actually live in a isolation. <laughs> Open by yourself in the woods, do you? <laughs> Basically, yeah, at the minute, yeah. I mean, it's taken me 70 years oh. to get to this state, but this is where I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be one of these recalcitrant, grumpy old people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I go down into the village now yeah. and I know half the people in there uh, well, and I can't make my way through the village quickly for all the conversation and tea and political discussion and, and welcoming to have dinner everywhere. And just everyone does that. You don't, there's not this idea here that you have to make friends. Everyone is your friend and they've got so much love and warmth in them that you're like, Oh, well, there might be a political disagreement, but it's secondary. So just everyone, I'm just enjoying it so much. Um, to finally have a free mind and to be happy in this village situation of um, emotionally intelligent community. Um, I'm, I'm loving it, really. It's, it's really good. Well, that's excellent. Now, hopefully they don't find out about your engineering background because I could see them trying yeah. to harness your expertise with that electrical <laughs> and uh, water problems. Yeah, I'll be straight trying to fix the pump. I've got no idea how to fix the pump, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> You're not one of these real engineers then. You're one of these virtual no. ones, eh? No. <laughs> uh, exactly, I'm just a virtual. I wish I was a real engineer because God knows, you know, it's really needed here. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I don't have those skills. Well, well Tekashin, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We've got uh, one more episode next week, and as we maybe we spoke before the program, if the Civil Diplomacy Centre you're with wishes to continue these discussions, which are broadcast here on Community Radio 3CR, which we're hoping to get broadcast on the Community Radio Network once we've got a package of 10, if you think it's of any use to you, uh, we will um, continue in February. But if at any time in between you've got you've got some contact details, anything happens that you think you would like to uh, let the Australian community know in terms of uh, safety and uh, invasions and things like that, please feel free to contact us at any time. Sure. Okay. Good. Thank you yeah. very much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.